0: You know the familiar Christmas story, but did you know every person or place in the story represents a part of you? We all have the inner purity of Mary, the rampant ego of King Herod, and the wisdom of the Magi. Mary and Joseph's journey is our journey to discover the Christ born in us. Read this fascinating interpretation of the Christmas story in The Trip to Bethlehem by Hypatia Hasbrook. Visit unitybooks.org slash trip to Bethlehem.
1: Experience the Difference, Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James
0: hello and welcome to our show i'm dr drayvon james and this is everyday peace i am super excited to be here with you today as we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day peace defined as wholeness completeness nothing missing nothing broken totality oh my goodness Today is one of those days for me, everybody. Just hearing this definition that we use for everyday peace, just knowing that we are gathered here as everyday peacemakers has gotten me so grateful, so excited for this amazing show that we're gonna have for you today. And I want you to know that whatever's going on in your life today, whether you feel like you're on top of the mountain and everything's going your way, or whether you feel like the mountain is on top of you and you're wondering like, why you got out of bed this morning, it doesn't matter either position, same blessings, right? So learning to see the world from this perspective that peace is wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality, everything that shows up, the good, the bad, and the in-between, no matter what it feels like, it's all showing up for one reason, and that's to bow down and serve you so you can carve out make the journey to your next level of greatness. So I want you to know that yes, everyday peace is possible. Yes, you deserve everyday peace. And yes, you can have everyday peace. We work together on this show to bring you the topics and the guests to partner with you as you create your life of peace every day. If you missed last week's interviews, last week's shows, well... You miss some amazing stuff. Um, you miss uh, Mary Joy, who talked about her book Overcoming Codependency with a holistic approach, reinvent yourself in the in a p- positive, powerful way. It was she gave tips. We got a great working definition, really good definition of what codependency is, how you can recognize it in yourself, how you can change this behavior. So if that's something that you're dealing with, and a lot of us are, um, I highly encourage you to go back, listen to the show. We also had the awesome Linus Woods Mullins. And Linus, as you know, she's been on the show with us several times before. She is all things about self-care and how to make that transition as a woman to the next season of your life with grace and vitality. And she gave I could even begin to recap all the tips that she gave for increasing your energy, increasing your libido, um, increasing your appearance, improving your appearance to be what you want to be, just uh, everything. So check out the show. I, you can access last week's show in our entire library of shows by subscribing to the Dr. Drayvon James Everyday Peace Podcast on Apple, Spotify. Google Play and Stitcher, or you can listen to them right here on the unityonlineradio.org website. Another great place to access everyday peace content is on our website, which is drdravonjames.com. The website is new and improved. So if you visited a while ago, please revisit again. You'll be amazed at what's there. It has some amazing free gifts this particular free gift, I really want you guys to go on and pick up. It's tips to improve self-esteem and self-confidence. Who couldn't use that? We all could. So it's absolutely free, uh, free gift uh, at drdravonjames.com. That's the website. You're going to find encouraging words of wisdom, excerpts from my book, Freedom is Your Birthright, all kinds of wonderful free stuff. You'll get to know what's going on in the in the world of everyday peacemakers. So check that out. And uh, bookmark it, go there frequently. I think you'll be surprised and uh, find that it augments your journey in life. So I wanna spend just a quick moment because we got some great guests today, guys. Just a quick moment with our everyday peace moment. And I have a question for you. Are you allowing someone else or something else to determine your happiness? Let me repeat that question. Are you allowing someone else or something else to determine your happiness? How happy you are? Are you putting that in the hands of another person or another situation? Quite frequently we do that. Someone leaves our life, we're unhappy. The job doesn't do what we thought it would do, we're unhappy. And and that's understandable because sometimes there was a slogan I used to hear as a child that happiness deals with what is happening. But I would encourage you, I would encourage you to dig deep beyond happy to find joy so that you will know that as you become more self-aware, you will understand that life is a cycle and that just because things don't seem to be on the path that you would like them to be on at some particular journey in your life does not mean that in the middle of that, That there isn't something that's happening that is so beautiful that if that thing stopped happening, it would change how you feel about everything. So find something to be grateful for in the middle of every situation. And then you will truly connect to happy or joy, even better than happy. So that's our Everyday Peace moment. With that being said, we're gonna head to our first guest today. And our first guest today is none other than Michael Phillips. He is an author, he is an inspirational speaker. He joins the Everyday Peace podcast to discuss his book, Wrong Lanes Have Right Turns, and the significance of the understanding and avoiding the school to prison pipeline. Oh, what a great topic. Welcome to the show, Michael. We're happy to have you.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, we're so grateful to have you here. I want to just jump right in the beginning because I know you have so much to share with us. Um, you are on this journey. You know, you're you're a business owner, you're an inspirational speaker, but you've had some start to your life that gives you a passion for being able to give at this level. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, You know, I was uh, one that made a wrong turn in my life that almost cost me uh, spending the majority of my life uh, in prison. Uh, When I was uh, in my teens, uh, lost a scholarship to college, Uh, was in a horrible car accident that kind of uh, derailed my future as an athlete. And since that was the only way I thought uh, I could have a passport to the world was through sports, uh, I decided to uh, come back home and and take up some friend's suggestion of uh, selling drugs. And it almost cost me my life. I was arrested and was facing 30 years in prison. Uh, But Providence would have it so uh, that I was offered an opportunity to go to school rather than to prison and that decision of a judge totally changed the trajectory of my life
0: wow that is truly having what my mom would say is the hand of God on your shoulder right yeah 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 yeah, absolutely. yeah that that is an incredible that is an incredible story and I can only imagine how uh, fearful you must have been at that Point in time. And, and I got to tell you, it's not the first time I've heard that story, uh, something similar to that. And I've known people who've had that um, opportunity where the judges have said, hey, you can go to the military, you can go to prison, you know, you can go to college, or you can go to prison. And I'm always uh, in awe of the people who say, you know what, I'm going to take this opportunity to turn my life around. But then there are those other ones who just, for whatever reason, they think they'll take their chances, um, you know. Back on the streets and involved in the activity, so I know it's either way, it's not an easy decision to make. But I'm so happy that you made this decision and you've decided to give back. So tell us, tell us about the book um, and what led you to write the book and some things that you're into at this point in your life, where your where your charitable giving has has taken you.
2: Absolutely. Well, I wrote the book for one simple reason to show that human lives are redeemable and with effort and time that any person can make a difference in this world and the title of the book comes from me being at uh, a very hectic intersection like literally at a, a intersection intersection on 95 south i was running from uh, federal officers uh, on my way to florida and my mother uh got me on a this is how far we're going back on a nextel two-way right <laughs> and uh she uh convinced me uh, well, she didn't convince me, but she suggested that I should come home and turn myself in. And uh, she told me that whatever we, I was going through, we would go through together. And so I got in my car. I'm um, headed down 95 South. And uh, I decide that, you know what, uh, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna trust that and I'm going to turn myself in. Not knowing what the outcome would be, uh, but I was in the wrong lane at this very busy intersection, but I needed to make a right turn. And it was that moment in my life that i discovered that wrong lanes have right turns Uh, we're at a juncture of a great turning uh, in our society in our culture uh, that is going to require us to shift our mindsets from what i call a culture of punishment to a culture of possibility and to do that uh, we're going to have to first recognize that we might be in the wrong lane. okay that doesn't mean uh that you can't make a right turn that doesn't mean that you can't turn around but it might mean you're going in the wrong direction and so this book is my story uh against the backdrop of the need for some systemic changes uh that we really must have in our society if we're going to make the right turn
0: oh i like that and you use that word, whenever I hear the word systemic changes, I, there I have two, two parts of my, I guess my mind and my heart open up because I know that in my heart, my heart knows that anything is possible. But when I hear systemic change, I hear, I, I see these slow grinding wheels. And um, what are some of the things that you think that need to change systemically for us to have um, this, this culture of possibility?
2: First and foremost, um, I think uh, we need to practice practice restoration. Your program is all about peace, all about wholeness, nothing being missing, nothing being broken, nothing lacking. And as a society, we practice retribution more than we practice ret- restoration. And if we can come to a place of practicing restoration, so for example, in our schools if we could implement restorative practices, when there is an issue in the community, when there is an issue in the school, rather than having a child spend time out of school or put them in harm's way of of a school officer, which directly connects them to the criminal justice system at early ages, I'm talking as early as kindergarten, we're doing this, um, that is a culture of punishment. That's all about retribution. And so when we cry for justice in our society, what we're really crying for is revenge. We're crying for rest, for retribution rather than restoration. And I, my hope is that this book will help us from a societal t- standpoint, but most of all, as individuals, embrace the idea and the concept of restoration. Uh, if you have wronged someone, if someone has wronged you, uh, if you've made the wrong decision and, and chosen your bias over <laughs> over something better, uh, all of those things. How how we have had this human experience, we we must come to a place where we're really considering restoration more than we are considering retribution.
0: Mm. Oh, there's so much there, um, you know, in, in the restoration of of someone. It, Uh, Because you're right. We're looking for, for punishment and revenge, right? And so we, what we get is we don't get a healed individual who's ready to interact as someone who has been redeemed or forgiven, right? We end up with the individual who feels um, shame, you know, has all the attributes, all the emotions of the, of a wounded individual or wounded individual. What I think of uh, and this is with all love, but what I think of is that, you know, if you have a, a animal that has been abandoned, you know, and they've been treated poorly and cast away, they're hard to integrate back into the family because they're so fearful that they come back fighting, right, and even trying to fight those that are trying to to nurture it. And so the idea that we have this retribution, I mean, you know, people feel cast away and they don't feel open and at their best. Where they're coming to be a part of something that's growing they feel more destructive instead of uh, creative and I, that's so that's so um, I think right on that right on Absolutely. point and target that we do need this this type of restoration and, and how we would start I would, we have these conversations right and I think to myself, where do we start? you mentioned kindergarten right and you do a lot with um you do a lot with education, so where do you think we start you know how how do we start this?
2: Who really has to start it before a child enters into a school? It really needs to become part of our culture. so I want to say we need to start in our culture, right? Because everything's going to flow from there. Uh, and so it seems as though in our culture we have decided what to do with our pain. We transmit it rather than transforming it. So if you don't the pain that you don't transform, you will inevitably transmit. And we've decided to transmit our pain from generation to the next. So what I mean by that is, is that if we know something's not working and it's and it's harming us generationally, then why do we continue to do it? Right? Why do we why do we continue to do it if we know that there's disparity and inequity in our education system, which really is the breeding ground uh, for. Um, so many systemic challenges, and we know what works and we know how to solve it. But culturally, uh, we don't we don't do much about it, and we don't embrace it because we're still very much individualistic as a society. Uh, I'm gonna take care of me. I'm gonna take care of mine. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and and what what is required though, if we're gonna live up to the promise of education, is that collectively. That idea is that we pull our resources together as a community and educate our children, right? And we do this not so that we can have individuals to go into some industrialized system back when the education system was created. We need to do this so that they can become the people that they were created to be, to give their highest contribution to society. And it's an investment that we should make. Otherwise, what we will do is we will continue to transmit our pain from one generation to the next. I I just wrote an op-ed that uh, said, I went to jail, my son went to Harvard. And the same premise is that I decided as a parent that my son was not going to inherit my trauma. He was not going to inherit my pain. He was going to inherit my wisdom from all of those experiences. And that led him to having the opportunity to go to Harvard and graduate the top of his class and get the commencement address in 2020. And Congratulations. so if, if that's possible. Thank you very much. If that's possible for me uh, and and my children, then that's possible for all of us. It takes
0: a lot of intention, right? And I think what I hear you saying is that, you know, and, and I guess this leads me right into this question too, you know, when you had that, what were the aha moments i guess what were the aha moments along your 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 destiny your pathway your journey that led you to say yeah i'm 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 making it i'm making a change i'm making a change because i really want our listeners to get this part is that it is not what you did was not easy right every day you had to recommit to that decision. And I'm sure that had to be difficult. So what were the things along that path that allowed you to do that?
2: Yeah, that's an excellent question. You know, um, I want to say it this way. I honored my emotions instead of wallowing in my emotions. Uh, I honored the way that I felt. I honored my story. Uh, And I understood that I can change the way my story ends. Um, that it, it doesn't have to end bad. And so instead of scapegoating, instead of blaming anybody, um, I honored how I felt about it all. And I also found spaces and places that were safe to be able to communicate that hurt because I'm a firm believer that hurt cannot be healed until it is hurt. You have to give uh, a voice to your pain. And so some of my aha moments was uh, understanding that I had the power to determine how my story ended, Uh, that I could continue to make decisions though challenging, though difficult, though hard, uh, though I had to recalibrate a lot, uh, though I had to to give up a lot of my preference so that I can really embrace purpose. Um, It was worth it all. And so my son, my first aha moment was when my son was born (laughs) and i held him in my arms i'll never forget it and i said to myself i can't actually say what i said on on the radio but what i said to (laughs) myself was what i said to myself was i've got to get my stuff together uh because it was all about him at that point it was all about him and uh over time as i evolved uh, he got to see me go to school, he got to see me get my degrees, and and, and he got to see me read and all that stuff in and, and the environment that was created for him. Uh, those were the moments for me that made me realize, okay, my story is not just about me. It's about him. It's about what I'm leaving behind, and it's about ultimately what I what I choose to become, not what I did. But but who I am and what I choose
0: to become. Oh my goodness! So you've said a few things which are so they as you're saying them they sound like oh my goodness who doesn't know this but who doesn't live this because it's not in the forefront of our minds right? Our story is bigger. Our journey is how I say it. But I love how you said it. Our story is bigger than ourselves, right? It's beyond me, right? You know this journey that we're that we're having. It's we get to live this journey, and that's beautiful, but it's so much bigger than that, right? You could see that in your son and say, okay, you know, this is you that's living and doing the day-to-day, but it's bigger than the day-to-day, and to have your pulse on the now while preparing and dropping seed for the future is incredible, and to be aware of that while you're doing it in the midst of all that life is throwing at you, right? Right because you still got to be in there doing the day-to-day stuff. And sometimes that's where we lose sight of the real thing. But that is so true that this, whatever we're going through, whatever we're trying to build is bigger than us. It's beyond us. And if we don't do it, boy, we, we leave a lot of, uh, we leave a lot on the table. We leave a lot undone. a lot. Yeah. So I thank you for your courage in that. And then this is something I want our listeners that you said was really good. Um, hurt must be heard in order to be healed and a lot of men I think could could really find some comfort in that because a lot of times I find that men suffer silently maybe it's that you know suck it up buttercup sort of um, kind of uh, masculine energy that says you know what I can take this on the chin I don't have to discuss it I don't have to let it out but hurt does have to be heard in order to be healed, even if you're the person who's hearing it and, and that's it. But it's got you've gotta have an outlet to express that so that you can let it out. And I think that's so beautiful.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the biggest things I had to overcome was to lose a loyalty to my mistakes and actually learn how to ask for help. Right. Um you know, my father died when I was twelve, so that take it on the chin, suck it up sort of thing. Um, I grab obviously as a man, I gravitated to, but uh, when you don't have your father, you do not know how to ask for help because there's no mm-hmm. one to ask
1: right. and
2: so for men who who are struggling with trying to give their pain a voice to find a safe place to have that conversation about what they're grappling with and dealing with, some of them never had a father to be able to have that conversation, even if their father was alive or, or, or present in the earth, maybe not in their lives, uh, or maybe just a strange relationship, whatever it might be, but, or some distance in their relationship. But mostly, most men don't know how to ask for help. And that's the real substratum of the difficulty of getting healed, is that you're going to have to be humbled first to say, "I need help."
0: Wow! Wow! The book. Tell us the title of the book again, and where we where our listeners can get this book. They have yes. to have it.
2: Yes. Wrong lanes have right turns available everywhere. Books are sold. You can pre-order today. It releases January twenty fifth and i'm very
0: very excited about it oh i'm I'm very excited about it too i mean just the idea of a, a male voice coming forth and we and we know it's okay to express we, we know that but i think it is so powerful to hear a man speak on it and say hey he you know hurt has to be heard in order to be healed and we're in this together really quickly you did a ted talk Oh yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, tell us. We got about a minute left. Tell us about that TED Talk experience.
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I did a TED Talk called "When Chairs Learn on Broke When Kids Learn on Broken Chairs." And very quickly, the TED Talk was around a young man that I met by the name of Calvin. When I first started touring schools, learning, you know, what are some of the best practices? What are some of the worst practices? What do great schools look like? What do bad schools look like? I met a young man who was standing in the corner of a classroom, third grader, um, just looking aimlessly throughout a window that was covered in dust and, and bars. It was pretty bad. And so I asked the teacher if I can go over and, and say hi to him. She said yes. And I go over and I talk with him. And, you know, I'm shocked because the kid turns around, he's articulate, he's bright, and he tells me his name, he tells me in class that he's in and what he's interested in. He wants to be an engineer. And so I asked him a question. I said, man, why are you standing in the corner? He said, because my chair is broken. And his chair had adjustable legs. Uh, I got down on the floor and and actually took one of the legs out that was stuck and got it balanced. And, and the reason why he was standing up was because he said when he sits in his chair, he falls. When he falls, he gets in trouble. He'd rather stand up and do it. Oh,
0: that, I hear our theme music coming on You all, yeah. please ch- check out this book. Check out Michael Phillips. You won't be disappointed.
1: Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Dravon James.
0: Welcome back. I'm Dr. Dravon James, and this is Everyday Peace. Boy, do we have a great show today. Today, Now bring up to the stage, I want to say that, Jennifer Irwin, who's uh, here to talk about her new book. But I got to tell you about the first book because the new book is a sequel. Her first book was the, was a debut novel, A Dress, the Color of the Sky, was published in 2017 and has received rave reviews, won seven book awards, and, and was optioned for a feature film. Jennifer's short stories have appeared in numerous literary publications, including California's Emerging Writers, and Anthology of Fiction, and her new book, which is incredible, Address the Color of the Moon, um, has been released, I guess, about 30 days ago, she and I were talking, before the show came on, and I can't wait to tell you about this book. I want to say the title again because I love it address the color of
1: the moon jennifer Irwin, welcome to the show oh thank you so much for having me and i'm grateful to be a guest on your show oh i'm grateful to
0: have you here i first want to talk to you about these amazing titles um address the color of the sky address the color of the moon we what were you thinking how i mean right there i gotta tell you you had my attention you know you had me at hello <laughs> we know that line. you had me in hello but you really had me at at, at, at the title of the books where, where did this um, come from
1: so it basically um came from the fairy tale donkey skin which is um my books are the premise of the book is is moving forward from a traumatic childhood traumatic experiences and finding self-love and healing. And the fairy tale donkey skin is um, really about um, a princess who's trying to escape the fact that her father wants to marry her. And um, it's obviously it would be nowadays we call it incest and, and sexual assault and abuse. Um, but this is a fairy tale from very a long time ago from, I believe it was even the 1600s. So it's a very old fairy tale. And, I felt like it really aligned with just the messages that um, went with the first book and, and how this protagonist is, is trying to escape her stepfather and, and what, what's happened in her life as a child and kind of move forward. And so I, I have in, I've incorporated part of the fairy tale into the book um, in both the, the first and second book. So, you can see how I came up with the titles. Um, and if there was going to be a third one, it would be Address the color of the sun, um, because that would, that's the third dress that in the fairy tale that the princess, this fairy nymph, tells her to make a dress the color of the sky. And her father, her father won't be able to do that, and then she'll be free. And then it's a dress the color of the moon, and then a dress the color of the sun. So, oh, that's, wow. that's where I came up with the titles. And so,
0: yeah, thank you for that because I, I love the title. I really love the title and I think it fits so much. Um, So what would you say, the general,
1: what do you want your readers to walk away with when
0: they read um, these books?
1: I, I really hope, for one thing, that people will understand um the addiction and recovery process and what a little more about addiction and what recovery looks like. Um, Just sort of, from the layman's terms, I did a lot of research on the book and I created a, a therapeutic environment of inpatient treatment facility where Prudence checks in and there's the cast of characters there and they'll learn about what does that look like and what does an inpatient rehab facility look like and what are people going through in, on a day-to-day basis there um, and maybe have less fear over that whole mystique of, of what that looks like um, and at the same time, I, I hope that my books would provide um, some solace um, to people who have endured childhood trauma and sexual assault, um, and, and that it is possible to move forward and find self love and heal and have healthy relationships. And um, we can't necessarily close the door on our past, but we can accept it and understand what happened and not have it ruin our future relationships, and the way we feel about ourselves.
0: Oh, that's so good, because so, so often, quite often, in fact, um, these type of traumas do have long-lasting impact, and they do go mm-hmm. on to ruin not only the the victim's uh, life, but those that come in contact with him or her, you know, through mm-hmm. relationship choices and, you know, not being able to, to grow beyond that pace that that, the place of assault the age of assault so that's Mm -hmm. i think that is really really good and so tell us a little about this this character prudence and she's got she's got a few issues going on there
1: (laughs) (laughs) um prudence has um endured a traumatic childhood and she um she genuinely does want to do better um But addiction is a tricky thing and it's a sneaky thing and it definitely is a difficult difficult obstacle in life to overcome when when you have it. And so um, her addiction is sex and a lot of that stems to the experiences of her her childhood from disassociating her body and her spirit, basically. Um, And she uh, goes into treatment. She's kind of poorly behaved and she has sexualized herself quite a bit and therefore sexualizes everyone in her life. Um, but as book one evolves, you start to see her mature and grow and and not have so many sexual thoughts and, so, and sexualize people so much, but at the same time heal from what happened to her in her childhood. Um, she's also very empathetic to others and caring to others. Um, and so you root for her in that sense and also finding out how the strength of her spirit and How she endured her childhood, and for every dark character in the book, there's sort of a of the Good Witch, somebody helping Prudence along the way, and someone providing a, a little bit of light for her. Because I do believe um, there are so many good people in the world, and I, I wanted to create some positive characters as well that, that the, the good people that help that help the the ones that are struggling. Um, and then in book t- book two, I really addressed. Um, just, what does it look like when you have this box of tools that you've gone through recovery, and they put you onto the real world? And a lot of people don't choose to do aftercare, even though I I think they should. Um, and I'm not a specialist, I'm not an expert in addiction or anything like that, just to clarify. Um, but I am the child of a drug addict, and I did have a long-term marriage with with an alcoholic, so. I figured there was a connection there in some way that I was codependent, that I had believed that I could help someone who has an addiction problem, which is not the case. You can't, people who are addicts need to hit rock bottom and help themselves. And that's, um, so I was codependent and wanted to address that. And that's how I started digging into my childhood and what happened to me and why did I marry an alcoholic and, um, how did my being a child and a drug addict affect me um, and and affect my choices of who I wanted to share my life with? Um, so basically, we see some people make it in, book, in, in a dress color of the moon and some people don't make it. And it's very clear why that is And when you read the book. Um, but I don't write in a way that's difficult to understand or very technical about addiction. I, I write Story, my books are very character driven so you get to know these people and what's their backstory and who are they and how they interact with people and how they think and feel um and 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 what their struggles are so um that's that that's just the way that I like to tell a story
0: i think yeah because they're real you can you can easily insert yourself into their lives and i like this bit about prudence when you say she's empathetic but then you go on and say you know are you Sort of have a traits of codependency because I think that that's such a easy uh, place for empaths to end up is in the codependency, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. a lot of times you you do see something that is uh, traumatic from the childhood that maybe they've used codependency traits, uh, unbeknownst to themselves to qu- to cope with and to overcome, and then they end up, you know, in this. Uh, full-blown, codependent-like behavior. So I think that's important to note that um, Prudence is very empathetic, but that empathy could be also, uh, the dark side of that could be this codependency. It's, Correct. It's, and it's, also, it's um,
1: yeah, and I think um, the other part of Prudence is this self-hatred that she has um, very often, and was well, something I learned through my own therapy and also writing this book, is when someone has been raped or molested, sexually assaulted, they have something called a victim mentality and the chances of being raped again are very, very high because of this victim mentality. And it's really important to to shed that um, and not believe and think of yourself as a victim. Um, and I go through a lot of that in the book and how does prudence shed the victim mentality, but also um, not not believe that she deserved what happened to her so that she can love herself again because the self-hatred really prevents people from having healthy relationships not just with themselves but with others because until you love yourself you cannot have a truly healthy relationship with someone else Um, and we carry a lot of baggage with us from our childhood and um, triggers and from past relationships and just really get to acknowledge and understand these things so um, they don't p- bring poison to our, our present life and our relationship. Not just with lovers, but with friends and family as well.
0: Right, and quite often they do, quite Quite often they do. We don't get to this place of self-discovery and self-acceptance, right? Being able to look mm-hmm. at ourselves and still accept ourselves for everything and not take, we feel sometimes we get to this space we as humans, that if it happened to me, it is because of me, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of mm-hmm. realizing that it, that individual who is doing whatever he or she is doing is also having their own journey and they are, um, uh, you know, putting that anger, that frustration, that uncertainty, that low self esteem, low self worth, they're attempting to put it on their victim as a way of mm-hmm. offloading it. And we know that doesn't work, it just creates two very, um, Unhappy and maladjusted individuals, if we're not careful. So mm-hmm. I, I I love Prudence's journey. I think it's very brave of you to um, to uh, tackle the sex sex addiction. What led What led you to do What led you to do that?
1: Well, so um, I I taught Pilates for many many years and really got to know varieties of different types of women. Um, and when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, I was really fascinated by how that sparked a lot of sexuality and, and women again, and marriages and relationships. And, um, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And I, um, I personally didn't, didn't like those books. I, I couldn't finish the book, but it was, it had an impact on, on so many people who had read it. And, um, at the same time, a lot of men were coming out as sex addicts. And so I, I thought I'd just Create this character who is a flawed female protagonist um, who's poorly behaved, and what the way I wrote my first book is, I went back and forth in time so that I created a sense of empathy from the reader on what this character had endured and how does she end up the way she is, Um, and then in the second book I go back and forth in time from present day that the the characters that are out of rehab, and I go back into rehab. Um, and and share how how their lives have unfolded, and what happened to each of those characters, and also what happens in rehab, and how close they they became. Um, and I just I, I it's sort of like a dog it's like dog years, and and when people are in rehab, they get really close because they're sh- really sharing very the depths of their souls for fi- over a five week period. So. It's like a one week equals seven years kind of thing. Just the, mm. the way that I, I think about it. But I just wanted to. I, I mean, I did. I, I wanted to, to do something with addiction. But at the same time, I I wasn't sure. I really wanted to go through have Prudence be a drug addict or an alcoholic. I just I wanted to have her do be something that was unusual, like like sex addiction, and when men have a lot of sex. It's, has one perspective, but when a woman does, has a different perspective in society. Um, and also, I like getting into a woman's head and having people understand how women think, how hard we are on ourselves, how um, women actually are sexual. It's just we have different ways of expressing it, different ways of thinking about sex, but it doesn't mean that we're not sexual. So there's just a lot of messages there and, and things I wanted to address, and I love to do that through my writing. Um, in a way that that makes it a little more palpable to swallow rather than just saying it.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact that you decided to tackle a different type of addiction because it really does open one's eyes up to addiction is addiction, right? And um, Mm -hmm. you don't... It, there are all sorts of different things to be addicted to, but the psychic, you know, the, the mind and the, and the control is still there and, and the desire to control, but being out of control is still there. I wonder how many people you may have um, come across who've read the book and say I, that, that they identify with prudence and so they mm-hmm. have. You know, it, I, I can't just,
1: even, it's really funny. I got so many messages emails direct messages um, even in reviews where people were shocked that they as- as- associated and saw common ground with prudence but she's a sex addict how do they how could that happen but prudence is the girl next door she's just like everyone else um, you know and the other thing that's, that that I saw a lot in my when I was teaching Pilates was that when women get divorced they go through a little bit of a wild phase and they Kind of reignite their sexuality and and kind of get back in touch with it, and um that kind of made me think about, oh, I want to do something with this I want to make and Prudence is going through a divorce in the book, so um I, you know there were just so many things there that I thought i i can I feel like I can make this work and um, yeah, so that's that's kind of how i how I came up with all that and um I, I, I've been really amazed at how the book has touched people who have been sexually assaulted and have had endured childhood trauma, um, the most messages, and so many men as well that um, either experienced it themselves or saw their mom going through abuse or ha- their moms had shared with them. I mean, just incredible amount of readers reaching out to me saying how much the book had touched them.
0: Yeah. And do you find that
1: the in
0: your research did you find that the impact of childhood sexual trauma uh played out differently or was it pretty much the same for men and women? Or is there any difference between how it plays out for men um, and women? I think
1: I I I think the damage that it does is very similar. Um I don't I I don't um know exactly how it affects a male in their relationships and how they look at love or they see themselves. Men tend to not berate themselves as much as women. Um, Women are very hard on themselves. Their self-talk can be extremely negative, um, extremely degrading. Um, And I think very often, and I hope my book helps people think about how they talk to themselves and um, the voices in their head that you know tell them bad things to themselves sometimes we treat ourselves worse than we allow them to treat us. but um, I, that's a good question. I don't really know the answer to whether childhood trauma affects a man different different than a woman. Um, I just know how it affected me and how it affected my my relationship and my self-esteem and the process that I went through to rebuild my self-esteem and also accept what happened to me and not have it ruin my feet my future relationship
0: oh I love that I love the fact that you've taken this conversation to talk about um, self-talk because so often I work with clients in my coaching business and I know that self-talk is happening all of the time, right? We couldn't stop it if we wanted to. But do do you find that so many people don't even realize what they're saying to themselves, right? That Mm -hmm. they have, they're all day long crucifying themselves and putting themselves down. And like like you said, if someone else talked to you like that, it'd be over and it'd be a full stop. Like, nope, not not gonna deal with this individual anymore. But we do it to ourselves, and we don't even realize that we're doing it
1: yeah yeah and I, I really I get in pretty deep on that with the with um, the first book and the the more Prue grows as a character in book two she has all the tools um, she's starting to learn to trust herself to listen to her gut to believe her gut tells her what the right thing to do is you know she is she's still not completely cured but um all the information that she received over the five weeks in rehab is like a slow drip into her brain, and it it starts to take effect slowly. It's not like you just walk out and you're like, "I'm cured." When you walk out of rehab, you're. It takes time, and you have to work the program. You have to work, um, go to meetings, and follow the steps, and continue doing all the personal work. Um, and it's the same thing when you've been molested or when you've been sexually assaulted you can't it doesn't just go away but you have to constantly do personal check-ins and and how am i feeling and am i using those negative voices again the ones that i used to use before i realized that wasn't a good thing so um I, i there's just a lot of things there that i wanted to to touch on and um share really about myself and also um What I learned about women from teaching Pilates and my experiences with interacting one-on-one with so many different kinds of women um, uh, that I, I I don't know, I, I put this character together, sort of a hodgepodge of a lot of different people that I know, so...
0: Yeah, and and I love the fact that you learn so much about women um, teaching pilates. It's like it's like going to the hairdresser, right? Where mm-hmm. we are just you know we we lose all inhibition just start talking about stuff. But uh, in 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 this learning about women, and you mentioned a little bit earlier about you know women have this healthy sex drive. It just it gets initiated differently than what men do. What what is that? What how did you find? There's a commonality between I, women.
1: You know, I think it's it's really interesting that a, a woman, first of all, I think it's really important to know what your love language is and what, what gives you a sense of um, feeling good in your relationship. And whether it's your partner doing the dishes or asking you if they can stop at the store on the way home from work and pick something up or letting you sleep in and bringing you coffee bringing you flowers and whatever it is know what your love language is and express express what your needs are to your partner i also think women and they fake orgasms a lot and they don't feel comfortable sharing what they need to have an orgasm and and once you start faking it it's really hard to get out of that rut it's really hard to get off that that cycle so Um, I always encourage women to try and communicate. Um, I know that men's egos are very much associated with their performance in bed or whatever. Um, but women should be happy too, and they should be able to feel fulfilled sexually. And it's okay to ask for what you want and to, to talk about what you want. And I don't think it's going to be damaging to someone's ego if you do it in the right way. Um, and explore your own sexuality and understand what your body likes. And um, I think all that's really important. Um, but again, I'm not a sex therapist. I just have done, I've talked to a lot of women, done a lot of research. And um, I also went to SAA meetings, love and sex addiction meetings, just a lot of different um, AA meetings to learn about that whole program so that I could create a more realistic milieu and in, in the story. So, um, a lot went involved, uh, was involved to getting this book where, you know, these two books, the where, the, where they are. But at the same time, I'm, like I said, I'm also the child of the drug addict. I'm sure, a hundred percent sure my dad was a sex addict as well. So there's just a lot of things, um, you know, from my own experiences, um, and just the experiences of, that I've, of other women I've spoken to, that I put it all this together. Uh, but I think that women just need to learn to say what they want, and also you know, know what you like, know what makes you makes you feel good, and don't be afraid to ask for it. It
0: sounds so easy, but I mean, I know that. <laughs> I women, know right. Women, but women have been socialized to, you know, you even see it now. You wouldn't think you would see it in current times, right? But if they say that, hey, this is what I want, not not just sexually, but I think just in life, like, you know, this is what I want. People are like, oh, my gosh, she's pushy. She's bossy. She's this, yeah. you know, or she's, she's not. Kind of, yeah. Right. She's aggressive. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that is something that, that that's a stereotype that we really have to sort of push against and say, irregardless to how, you know, you may feel about me expressing what I want. This is me. And you know, right? and and to just be ready, ready to own to own that part of ourselves. But I'm wondering where you got the because the book is you know, uh, and I know this is a sequel, so I encourage everybody to go back and read the first one first. Don't do it the way I have done it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, also, you don't have to have read the first book; it's a standalone. So I try to right. I try to it's it, it, you can read it just as a standalone, I and mean, hopefully you weren't lost and you understand. I wasn't. You know. Oh, yeah. no, it is a Thank great you. book. But
0: now, you know, I, I wish I, I said, gosh, I wish I had started at the beginning, but I want to go back and read the first one, which is Address the Color of the Sky. And the mm-hmm. new book is Address the Address. Color of the of the Moon. Of the moon. And, yeah. and, and as a reader of the second one first, I, Jennifer's absolutely right. It's a standalone book you will be captivated from page one. It is like the staying up too late to read the book. <laughs> like,
1: I have to go to work tomorrow. I get a lot of that. I got a lot of those messages from my readers. They're like, damn it. I didn't get any sleep. Thanks to you. Um, so right, so,
0: Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for stopping by and telling us about your awesome book really quickly. Where can we get this book address the color of the moon? You can you can purchase
1: it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and or your favorite bookseller. You can special order at at any bookshop um, near you. Oh, once again, I'm Dr.
0: Drayvon James. This is Everyday Peace. I absolutely love you. <laughs> Listening to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. You have the power right now, today, to make the decisions, to take the actions that lead you to your next level of greatness, and I would love to walk with you on your journey. Here's some ways we can connect. Schedule a coaching session. Contact me at info at Enroll in my online university course, the 2020 Clarity Course, at the Institute for Leadership and Lifelong Learning International. Enroll in the Brilliant Life nine-week online coaching session with me and Keisha Dixon at info at com. Purchase my book, Freedom is Your Birthright, from Amazon. Thank you for being an everyday peacemaker. I absolutely love you.
2: Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: You know the familiar Christmas story, but did you know every person or place in the story represents a part of you? We all have the inner purity of Mary, the rampant ego of King Herod, and the wisdom of the Magi. Mary and Joseph's journey is our journey to discover the Christ born in us. Read this fascinating interpretation of the Christmas story in The Trip to Bethlehem by Hypatia Hasbrook. Visit unitybooks.org trip to Bethlehem.